Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And the book of Acts is an important book in your Bible because it is a, it's a transitional book. In the book of Acts, you're moving from one thing to another. Okay? And it's important when you study the Bible that you, you understand where you are in the, you know, in, in the flow of things in God's Word and, and understand, you know, what, what is, since God has revealed His Word progressively and God has, um, in some ways changed His dealings with man at various times, it's, it's important to pay attention to those kinds of changes. And in the book of Acts, you have a, a, a big transition that's taking place. As we begin here, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we'll see that the focus is on Peter and the twelve apostles. By the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, uh, Peter and and the twelve will hardly be mentioned. And in fact, once you get about halfway through the the book of Acts, once you get to about chapter 13, where Saul and Barnabas are are sent out to go and preach, Saul, who's later called Paul, um, then the, the focus becomes on them and uh, Peter and the Twelve are only mentioned when they come into contact with Paul. All right, And so there's, there's a big change that's taking place. And uh, here in the book of Acts, the, the book of Acts is written primarily, we'll, we'll see as we go through it, it's written to show the diminishing of Israel. You know, when you're in the four Gospels, and there were times where Gentiles would come to Christ, like the Samaritan woman, and Christ... Christ would say to her, salvation is of the Jews. There was a Canaanite woman that came to Christ, and Christ said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, when he sends out the twelve to preach, he says, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and into any city of the Gentiles enter ye not. Right? And the focus is on Israel. In fact, through most of the Bible, the focus is on Israel. When you, when you start reading in the book of Genesis, you, you see, uh, certainly at the creation, there was no nation of Israel. But once you get to about the, about the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, God starts taking this man Abraham and starts to use him to form this nation that eventually would be Israel through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then, of course, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And through all of the Old Testament, the focus is on Israel. In the four Gospels, the focus is on Israel. But by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, the focus isn't going to be on Israel anymore. It's going to be on the Gentiles. And, in fact, if you were to, if you were to take the book of Acts out of your Bible you would wind up in a very confused state because you would go from those four Gospels, again, where Israel is the focus, and you would all of a sudden get into the book of Romans where it's, it's these Gentiles, right? And there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And so the book of Acts is very important in, in that regard. It's important in showing that, that transition that took place. You know that the, your New Testament is not... It's the, the order of the books in the New Testament is not there based on chronology. It's not based on the order that they were written. Uh, those books in the New Testament are there in a doctrinal order. 
And in fact, what you have is, is uh, a very, very important order in those books. You have in the four Gospels, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of them end with his death, burial, resurrection, and then his ascension into heaven. The book of Acts picks up where each of those four end. Um, again, the book of Acts is going to begin with Christ's ascension into heaven. And then throughout the book of Acts, you see this transition uh, away from Israel toward the Gentiles. And then when you get into Paul's epistles, the, the focus is on the Gentiles, right? And um, so, so those epistles of Paul, Romans through Philemon, so you have, you have the four Gospels, you have the book of Acts, that transition, and then the epistles of Paul. After Paul's epistles, you have the, the general epistles and the book of Revelation. And those epistles there at the end of the New Testament um, are, you know, they were written in the first century, but when you, when you study the, you know, the changes in dispensations and things, you'll see that they have their primary application after the end of the dispensation of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul writes about the dispensation of grace. After Paul's epistles in your Bible, you have those, those letters that are going to, again, have their primary application after the end of the dispensation of grace. And then, of course, the New Testament ends with the Revelation, which takes you all the way to the, the new heaven and new earth. And so, even though the, the books of the New Testament do not represent a, a chronological order in the sense that, uh, you know, of when the books were written, they do represent a chronological order in the sense of the unfolding of, of the working of God. Uh, again, with the life and ministry and then the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the diminishing of Israel, the dispensation of the grace of God, and then finally wrapping up with those things that take place after the close of the dispensation of grace. Now, the book of Acts is written by Luke, okay? And Luke, um, many people would know, many Christians would know that Luke was a physician. He's referred to as the beloved physician, Luke was not one of the twelve apostles, though. Uh, in fact, it's, it's kind of shocking how little of the New Testament is written by the twelve apostles. Matthew was one of those apostles. Mark and Luke were not. John was, and John writes the Gospel of John as well as um, the, the epistles of John and the Revelation. Right? Uh, Paul, of course, was not one of those twelve apostles. Uh, Hebrews, it isn't clear who wrote the book of Hebrews, but uh, James, the James who writes the book of James, was not one of the twelve apostles. He was a, a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter, of course, was, but um, Jude, who, who writes the book of Jude, was not one of the twelve apostles. So, really, you just have a handful of the books of the New Testament that are written by uh, people who were the, the twelve apostles. Luke, some people think that Luke may have been a Gentile. Um, I think that's probably unlikely, uh, although it's possible, I suppose. But uh, we don't really have anything in Scripture that would tell us specifically. But uh, Luke writes the book of Acts as kind of a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if you read the first verse there, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, when he talks about the former treatise, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. And, in fact, both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts 
uh, refer to somebody named Theophilus. And it's not clear whether Theophilus is actually a name of a person or whether it's, it's more of a, of a kind of a, a friendly title that Luke is using there. The term Theophilus would come from the Greek words theos, which means God, and phileo, which is one of those biblical words for love, and it means like a, a family-type love. And uh, so, so their Theophilus would be a, a lover of God, okay? And, and again, that may be more of a title. In fact, it may even be just a, just a general reference to believers in general, that Luke isn't writing this just to one person, but he's writing it to, to believers in general, to those who love God, to those who are a, a part of that family of God. Um, that that's a possibility, although it's also likely that this Theophilus is an actual person that Luke is writing to. There would certainly be many things recorded in the book of Acts to which Luke was not an eyewitness, especially early in the book of Acts. But Luke later on becomes a companion and a, a fellow traveler with the Apostle Paul. And so many of those things he would have been a direct eyewitness of. Now, the book of Acts is going to pick up where all of the four Gospels left off. If you see in verse 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, still speaking of Christ uh, and, and those apostles, verse 2 ends with talking about the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3 says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, he, Jesus Christ showed himself to the apostles alive. He was not just a spirit. He was not just a, a ghost. You know, some people think that they've seen ghosts of people that are dead. Um, that, you know, that's not a, a, a biblical idea. The Bible wouldn't teach you that, you know, spirits of people can, you know, walk around and haunt buildings and that kind of thing after they're dead. But even if they were, that person would still be dead. The difference with Jesus Christ is he wasn't dead. He showed himself alive. And he showed himself alive by proofs. Remember, they could touch him. They could feel the wounds in his hand. They could uh, sit and eat a meal with him. He was alive. He wasn't just a, a spirit. He wasn't, just, he wasn't dead and you know, just, just showing himself to them in some way. He was alive. He was physically, bodily, resurrected and living. And he showed himself, and he did it by many infallible proofs. And not only that, he was seen of them, it says, 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, where the book of Acts is going to pick up here uh, is after those 40 days. Jesus Christ realized, sometimes we, we tend in our minds as we read these accounts to sort of conflate various events and think that they happened, you know, very, very quickly. Um, we, we do that, I think, sometimes with the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Uh, you know, we read about, because it comes quickly in succession in those passages, you have the resurrection of Christ, and then just a few verses later it talks about his ascension into heaven, but realize there's a gap of 40 days there between Christ's resurrection and his ascension. When he resurrected on that morning, that first day of the week, and the, the women saw him there, uh, he, after that time, he was with those disciples and, and those apostles for 40 days. So nearly a month and a half uh, after his resurrection that he was there. And not only did the apostles see him, but other people saw him as well. Uh, they, they saw him and bore witness to the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. The apostle Paul 
talked about, uh, about a, a time where he appeared to 500 witnesses at one time that were still around there in the, in the days of Paul that he could have called as witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And so there were many people that saw Christ after his resurrection. And in these 40 days, what Christ was doing is, you see, it says that he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, before Christ's resurrection, during Christ's earthly ministry, he taught the disciples a lot of things about the kingdom of God. But you often get the impression when you read those accounts that the disciples were just always sort of left just sort of scratching their heads like, what's he talking about? Uh, and especially when he would talk about his death and resurrection. Uh, there it, it says specifically that things were hid from them. In fact, go, go back to Luke's gospel. Go to, go to Luke chapter 18, for instance. And notice here, uh, Luke chapter 18. So now we're going back, you know, before Christ's death and, and resurrection. And Luke chapter 18, verse 31. It says, Then he took unto him the twelve, And said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Now we read that, and we understand he's talking about his death that was going to come there at at Jerusalem, and his resurrection on the third day. But notice what it says about the disciples, verse 34. It says, they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. And so, Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ would talk to them about the kingdom, in fact, there are many parables of the kingdom that really, like for instance, the, the parables in um, Matthew chapter 13, for instance, uh, the, these parables talked about how there was going to be a delay in the establishment of the kingdom. Now, the kingdom that Christ was talking about uh, was the kingdom that had been promised to Israel, been promised to them in the Old Testament. It was promised that they would have a kingdom on earth. It would be the, the, the revival, really, of David's kingdom, uh, where Israel would rule not just, over, not just over themselves, but Israel would rule over the Gentiles. They would be the head of all the nations and not the tail. And, and of course, uh, you know, many of the prophecies of that kingdom also prophesy about the Messiah, the Christ, who would come and be the king in that kingdom. And so when Jesus comes along and they are able to identify him as being the Messiah, they're expecting, and he's preaching that the kingdom is at hand, they're expecting that they're going to to live and see the establishment of that kingdom, right? They're looking for him to come and and be the conqueror and to, to... you know, take control over the Gentile nations. I mean, understand, at this time, Israel was completely under the control of the Gentile Romans. And they were looking for Messiah to come and to, to uh, you know, throw off that Roman bondage and set up that kingdom, right? That's what they were looking for. So when he starts to talk about how he's going to die and, and rise again, that doesn't fit into their frame of reference. They don't understand it. And also, when it says that the saying was hid from them, that almost sounds like um, like God himself was sort of preventing them from understanding some things. That's, that's possible as well. You know, realize that, that there are, are things that God uh, chose not to reveal at certain times so they would be revealed at the right time. In fact, Christ had told his disciples that there were many things that he wanted to tell them, but he, he couldn't tell them. 
because they weren't able to, to bear it. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. They weren't capable of understanding some of the things that he would have taught them. And even here in this period of 40 days, now what he's doing during that 40 days is he's taking all of the, the Old Testament scriptures about himself and he's teaching them how those things apply. So at the end of those 40 days, these disciples who just are in complete confusion upon the, the death and even the resurrection of Christ, they, you remember on the, the road to Emmaus where Christ appears to those two disciples, and they, they're, just, they're just in a quandary. Uh, he asks them why they're, why they're so sad, why they're so troubled, and they say, well, you know, we, we believe that this guy was the Christ, and now he's been dead for three days, and, and they just... They, you know, they didn't know what was, what was going to happen. They didn't think about these times where he told them that he was going to rise again, right? And they were just in complete confusion. When you get to the end of these 40 days, now they still haven't received the Holy Spirit, but they're not in complete confusion either. He spent 40 days teaching them out of the Scriptures all these things about himself. And you see, go, go back to Acts chapter 1. You see what they're still looking for. All right, in Acts chapter 1, so he's been teaching them for these 40 days, these things uh, about the kingdom of God. And verse 4, it says, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, after 40 days of him teaching them about this kingdom, you see what they're, what they're asking about. They're, they're interested, when is it going to come? Right? And that's what their question is. Their question is not whether he's going to restore the kingdom because he's been teaching them for 40 days that that's what he's going to do. But their question is, are you going to do it now? Is this the time when you're going to restore that kingdom that all the prophets talked about? Is this the time when you're going to restore that kingdom that you've been spending 40 days and 40 nights teaching us about? Right? And you notice his answer to them. He, Jesus Christ, one of the things that had to be frustrating uh, about speaking with the Lord Jesus Christ here in his ministry is very rarely does he give a direct answer to a question. That frustrated his enemies to no end. The, the Pharisees were always trying to trip him up in his words, and he wouldn't give a, you know, a, a straight answer. He gave a true answer, but he didn't give just a, a yes or no, which is always what people were looking for. I mean, when they ask, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? What they're looking for is a yes or no. And if the answer is no, what they're looking for is, well, then when are you going to do it? Now, the way Christ answers, though, is not the way that they would want him to answer. What he says in verse 7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, that could be a yes and it could be a no, right? It could mean, yes, I'm going to do it at this time, but it's not for you to know. And it could mean, no, I'm not going to do it at this time, but it's not for you to know. Um, it, you know, I'm sure this is another one of those occasions here, even after these 40 days where they've been learning about the kingdom of God, um, they ask this question, and I'm sure they're scratching their heads again. Uh, but, but what he does tell them, you see in, in verse Verse 4, he had told them not to depart from Jerusalem. There's something that has to happen. There's something that has to take place. 
all right, be, before, certainly before this kingdom could be established. And you see in verse 4, he talks about the promise of the Father, which ye have heard of me. In verse 5, he talks about John, and this is not the Apostle John, but John the Baptist. And he says, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You see, there was something they had to wait for yet. Uh, in fact, what, what, you, what you see, again, again, God is very interested in time and things taking place at the right time. You can think about in the, the life of Christ, there were times where the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted to kill him, but it says that his hour was not yet come. It wasn't the right time yet. And God often is very concerned with things taking place at the right time. Jesus Christ, for instance, is crucified in connection with the Passover, which the Passover itself was a picture of what Christ was going to do in his crucifixion. And those spring feasts, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, uh, the Feast of first fruits, you see them fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so it's significant that they took place at the right time. Now, after Christ's resurrection, he tells them to wait for 40 days. Uh, for four, or, or rather, he's with them for 40 days. He tells them to wait there in Jerusalem. He's with them for 40 days. And you see, there was another feast day coming up in Israel's, in Israel's calendar called the Feast of Pentecost. And when we get into Acts chapter 2, we'll, we'll talk about what happened there on that day of Pentecost. And it's significant that it happens on the day of Pentecost. Just like the death, burial, and resurrection take place in connection with the actual feast days in Israel's calendar, the uh, Passover, the, the unleavened bread, and first fruits, there was something that had to take place on the day of Pentecost that they had to wait for. All right, But, but uh, here you see they're looking for that kingdom to be established. You notice that they say, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, what they're looking for, obviously, is for something that had once existed in Israel to be restored. If something is restored again, it's something you used to have that's going to be set up again. This kingdom that Christ talked about, you know, Israel had had a kingdom. Israel had a, a kingdom uh, under, under David and then so, well, first of all, with Saul, which you remember was a wicked king, and Saul was removed from that position as king. But then you have David, who is a, a man after God's own heart that rules over Israel for 40 years. Um, you have then Solomon, and then from there things kind of went downhill with the kings of Israel. But, uh, but you had this kingdom of Israel with David. And you know that Christ is often connected with David. Uh, in fact, David is going to figure prominently in a lot of these early sermons here in the book of Acts when Peter speaks in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and in Acts chapter 3. Uh, he's going to make reference to David. And in fact, Christ, it says in Scripture, was raised from the dead to sit on David's throne. Okay, Christ was, was raised in this, this plan with what God was doing with Israel. Christ was raised to take the place of David, to sit on David's throne and to wield the authority that David had as king of Israel. Right? And that's what they're looking for God to restore again. That's what they're asking Christ if, if the Lord is going to restore again that kingdom to Israel. So after 40 days of learning from Christ about the kingdom... Notice what they still believe about the kingdom. 
and we can assume, since they still believe these things after these 40 days, that these things are true. They believe the kingdom to be a literal kingdom that needs to be restored on the earth. Not just, not just a, a, a spiritual figurative kingdom that consists of those who believe in Christ. Because here these, these disciples believe in Christ. But obviously the kingdom is something that they see as being yet future to where they are. They view the kingdom as something to be restored. As being the restoration of something that once had existed before. Uh, they view this kingdom as something involving the literal nation of Israel, not some spiritual Israel, but the literal nation of Israel, right? We, we can conclude all these things from what they ask. And in fact, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, what we see is that the kingdom, when the kingdom is mentioned, those are, uh, that's the kingdom that's being described. All right. Now, it's true in the Bible that there are places where the Bible talks about a kingdom that would be a spiritual kingdom, where there would be a, a kingdom that, you know, that involves believers, for instance. But you see in these passages, this kingdom that they're talking about is a kingdom that pertains to Israel, a kingdom that is a, a, a literal earthly kingdom that is a restoration. And from comparing other passages, you can see it's a restoration of that throne of David, of that, that kingdom of David. Um, and, and so that's what they're asking about. Now, Christ tells them, again, that it's not for them to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in his own power. Uh, in fact, in other passages where the disciples have asked things about the, the end of the world, for instance, uh, Christ says that it's not given to, to them to know. And in fact, Christ even indicates, go, go back to the Gospel of Mark. Go back to Mark chapter 13. Here's a passage where the disciples are asking about the end of the world. And, and notice what Christ says here. Uh, in verse 32, Mark chapter 13, verse 32, he says, Of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven. Now notice, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed and watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Now, here the Lord Jesus Christ, now this is before his, his resurrection, uh, before his ascension, but you notice there, he says that, that it's only the Father that knows of that day and that hour, and here he says not even the Son knows. Now, if Christ in his humanity uh, says that not even the Son knew of that day and, the, and that hour, uh, you can see what kind of of arrogance and presumption that it takes of men today to say that they do know of that day and that hour. And that's why you see so many that just given enough time, they, they prove themselves to be wrong because they set some date where Christ is going to return and the date comes and goes and, and it doesn't happen, right? Christ himself here said even the Son didn't know. And here in our, in our text, he says it's not given to them, here even after they've had these 40 days of learning about the kingdom, it's not given to them to know those times or seasons. It says the Father has put them in His own power. So for somebody to claim to know those times and seasons, they're, they're claiming for themselves something that's reserved to God the Father. In fact, really, that would be, a, that would be an act of blasphemy, right? To, to claim to yourself something that belongs exclusively to God the Father, that even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would not claim to Himself. Those are, those are some, uh, some weighty things to think about there. But uh, uh, that's His answer to their question. And he, we'll end with verse 8 and just, just kind of end 
um, end sort of uh, with something to look forward to then in the next message. What he says to them, he says, it's not given to them to know those times or seasons, but he says in verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. But uh, that's where we're going to end for this time with just kind of a, an introduction to these things here in the book of Acts. And uh, let's, let's close with a word of prayer, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Acts that allows us to see this transition in, in how you were dealing with men. We uh, just pray that as we uh, go through this book that you would give us understanding, give us, give us life, that we would uh, have, come away with a, a greater understanding of your word and that progression of events and that transition that was taking place that's recorded there in the book of Acts. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.